Well, welcome all to our Sunday school time together in God's Word. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. We looked at Fruit of the Spirit the last two weeks, and today we're going to look at a, a Bible character study. I like to do those every once in a while. But before we get into the study this morning, this is Memorial Day weekend, and I was just thinking about that the last few days, especially in It's really a day honoring the men and women who died while serving in the U.S. military. Having served, I I saw firsthand a lot of the families that are affected when there's a death of a soldier. And having done a few funerals and all, I think it's good all the time to think about that, but especially when it's kind of a day set aside for those who have sacrificed for the freedoms we have in this country And, you know, we had uh, this morning uh, Jack shared from the pulpit how our country really is in line for God's judgment. We are starting to see that. But the simple things like God's freedom we have in America, we never can take that for granted. The freedom to even meet together like this, the freedom to, to honor those who have sacrificed the ultimate sacrifice in Memorial Day, and throughout the year, and to know how those families are affected, we need to pray for each other. It just kind of reminded me again what an honor we have of intercessory prayer, that we can pray for one another. That's what I love about these small prayer groups. We get to know each other by going through things that they're going through, not exactly in their shoes, but walking beside them and upholding them in prayer and any other way that we can uh, help. So uh, let's just remember this weekend again, uh, Memorial Day and its meaning. I want to open with a story recorded by John Lawrence and shared by Charles Swindoll. It was advertised that the devil was going to put his tools up for sale. On the date of the sale... The tools were placed for public inspection, each being marked with its sale price. There was a treacherous lot of implements, hatred, envy, jealousy, doubt, lying, pride, and so on. Laid apart from the rest of the pile was a harmless-looking tool, well-worn and priced very high. The name of the tool, asked one of the purchasers. Oh, said the adversary, that's discouragement. Why have you priced it so high? Because it's more useful to me than the others. I can pry open and get inside a person's heart with that one where I cannot get near him with other tools. Now once I get inside, I can make him do what I choose. It's a badly worn tool, but I use it on almost everyone since few people know it belongs to me. The devil's price for discouragement was so high, he never sold it. It's still his major tool, and he still uses it on God's people today. Two of Satan's tools he uses against believers are worry and discouragement. Pastor Steve reminded us on Mother's Day that instead of worry or anxiety, we need to pray for God's peace to take over our lives, as is shared in Philippians 4. Discouragement also can have a hold in our lives. And here's what one man wrote 
And this was after a hurricane. We don't know what that is, but they had a hurricane in the West Indies. And he had to write a repair report after a hurricane. And he was a little discouraged when he wrote it. He said, Sir, when I got to the building, I found that the hurricane had knocked some bricks off the top. So I rigged up a beam with a pulley at the top of the building and hoisted up a couple of barrels full of bricks. When I had fixed the building, there was a lot of bricks left over. I hoisted the barrel back up again and secured the line at the bottom and then went up and filled the barrel with the extra bricks. Then I went to the bottom and cast off the line. Unfortunately, the barrel of bricks was heavier than I was and before I knew what was happening, the barrel started down, jerking me off the ground. I decided to hang on. And halfway up, I met the barrel coming down and received a severe blow on the shoulder. I then continued to the top, banging my head against the beam and getting my finger jammed in the pulley. When the barrel hit the ground, it burst its bottom, allowing all of the bricks to spill out. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> I was now heavier than the barrel and so started down again at high speed. Halfway down, I met the barrel coming up <laughs> and received se severe injuries to my shins. When I hit the ground, I landed on the bricks, getting several painful cuts from the sharp edges. At this point, I must have lost my presence of mind because I let go of the line. <laughs> the barrel then came down, giving me another heavy blow on the head and putting me in the hospital. That's a discouraging day, trying to fix what happened from a hurricane. Well, the Bible tells us in Romans 14:19, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another or encourage one another. Romans 15:2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to encouragement, edification. And 1 Corinthians 8.1, love edifies, love encourages. Noah Webster defines encouragement as giving courage to, to increase confidence, to inspire with courage, spirit, and hope. Well, this morning we'll look at battling discouragement in a believer's life. When we think of Bible characters, certain examples stand out. When we mention Joseph, we think of forgiveness. When we think of Daniel, we think of prayer. And with David, we think of courage. When we think of encouragement, my focus centers on a Bible character named Barnabas. This morning we'll look at four ways Barnabas modeled how we can encourage one another. And I've asked this before, but how many here this morning get too much encouragement? Just can't take it anymore. It's overwhelmed. Say, back off. Or how many of us give too much encouragement? So we have two things we can always be doing. So when we think of encouragement, Barnabas, the four ways he modeled this for each of us, we need to know first a little bit about Barnabas. His name means son of encouragement. He was a Jewish believer and his original name was Joseph. 
according to Acts 4.36. You don't need to look that up. But he was renamed Barnabas. He traveled with Paul, according to Acts 13.2. And he broke up in traveling with Paul as they had a disagreement about John Mark. And that's spoken of in Acts 15. So it ended up they had two missionary teams instead of one, which turned out in a better way that they could reach more with the gospel. Now we get to the four ways Barnabas modeled for us encouragement. First way Barnabas was an encourager is shared in Acts 9 verse 27. Look with me at Acts. We're going to look at a couple passages in Acts and then one in Galatians. So Acts 9.27, we find out Barnabas was an encourager of acceptance. An encourager of acceptance. Acts chapter 9, verse 27. We'll pick it up beginning of verse 26. And this is, of course, after Saul had the big turnaround. Jesus met him on the road And he turned around from killing Christians to becoming a Christian. But we pick it up in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Saul, when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Why would they be? Because he had a part in many, many Christians dying, not believing that he was a disciple. So he must have come in Jerusalem And saying, now I'm a disciple. I believe in Jesus Christ. I met him on the road to Damascus. And then verse 27. I like that first word. But. But Barnabas. But Barnabas took hold of him. I love that, don't you? Here he has been on the opposite side. And Jesus is now foremost in his life. And Saul is looking to associate with those who are Christians instead of killing them. And it says here, Barnabas took hold of them. He grabbed them. He said, welcome, brother. I accept you. Too often, I think we battle it sometimes in my own life. We battle people's past and we say, God, you are the one who has changed their life Change my attitude toward them. Help me not to be judgmental. Because he was not being accepted. They didn't believe he was a disciple now. But Barnabas took hold of him. And he brought him to the apostles. And he described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. That he had talked to him. And how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. He's given a testimony. He's saying, let's accept our brother here. Let's encourage him by putting our arm around him and saying, you're now part of the body of Christ. Welcome. I think this was a similar way of being received. Barnabas was doing here. Remember Queen Esther in Esther 5? Remember when she came before the king and something had to happen in order for her to be received or she would be killed? Remember that? Who prompted her to go? God did, and in his timing, the king, did he put his scepter up in the air? And he received her. That was God's doing. Here, I I picture something similar here with Barnabas receiving Saul. Saul had persecuted. He'd been a witness to many Christian martyrs, but now we, 
we are seeing that acceptance led by the encourager, Barnabas. He reached out to his new brother in Christ. He saw Saul's potential, not his past. Showed acceptance in the body of Christ. We're all sinners saved by grace, aren't we? None of us deserves salvation, and yet, by God's grace, we're part of God's family. And so we have now brothers and sisters in Christ. Marion Jacobson's book, Saints and Snobs, she wrote, People are hungry for acceptance, for love, and for friends. And unless they find them in the church, they may not stay there long enough to become personally related to Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. When somebody comes and visits the church, an unsaved person, if they don't receive any acceptance there, they may not be there long enough to hear the gospel and walk away still unsaved. Barnabas encouraged Saul, now Paul, by accepting him unconditionally with God's love. It was not Barnabas' job to change Saul, but that's God's. And God does the great job with it. The same is true with each other. I remember working uh, still a few years ago at Pinellas County Jail, and I remember some people would come in and They were condemning of those who were behind bars. But God spoke to me very early, and I know Doug had that ministry uh, as well. But except for the grace of God, we could all be on the other side of those bars. And we would want somebody to reach out. We would want somebody to, to share the word, to share the gospel, first of all, that a person is saved, and then they can grow. You can't grow if you're not saved. That has to come first. And those behind bars need the Lord too, just as we all do. It's our responsibility to accept others as they are and let God do the changing. We're to pray for each other. We're to help each other as we're able. We're to love each other with God's love. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 tells us, Therefore, encourage one another. Build up one another just as you are doing. And then verse 14, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Oh, man. Boy, those last few words there. Patient with who? Oh, my goodness. Now, who does that include? Everyone. It's quite a list, but with God's help, it can be done in our lives. And the world needs that. They need Jesus. So the first way is we see the acceptance. He was an encourager. Barnabas was an encourager of Paul. He took hold of him. He accepted Saul where he was, where Paul was, and and what God was going to do with his life. The second way Barnabas was an encourager is shared in Acts 11. Look down another couple chapters. Acts 11, verse 22. Paul was an encourager of spiritual growth. Not only to accept each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, but that we grow in our spiritual walk with the Lord. Acts 11, beginning of verse 22. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. 
When he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. There was a need in Jerusalem. They were struggling. But we, we see here that the Jerusalem Bible Church sent their best encourager, Barnabas, to encourage the Antioch Bible Church. Keep serving the Lord. Grow in your faith. Don't be stagnant. Let others see Jesus makes a difference in your life. And Barnabas' initial observation, by the grace of God, the message of the gospel was being proclaimed. There was great revival. People were being saved. What's more important than that? That an eternal soul is going to be with the Lord instead of being in hell apart from God. There's nothing more important. Barnabas had a servant's heart response. It says he was glad, he was full of joy, he was rejoicing, and he encouraged the church to what? Stay where you're at? Kind of slide back? Grow. Pursue their life in Christ. Every day in the morning saying, Lord, what, what will you teach me today? And does God ever have to give us the lesson again? We always get it the first time, right? And surely the second. Now some of those, and we talked about it earlier, and I hate to even mention it again, but it's that patience. We get in a hurry. We live in a world of, I want it now. That's why you got the drive through right? You don't want to go inside and have to order. You just go through the drive through and pretty soon, uh, I don't know, I guess we can call them ahead of time. I guess we had to go pick up food before ahead of time with uh, the COVID thing going on. But we're in a hurry. Why? Why are we in a hurry? I have to ask myself, why are we in a hurry? That that person who cuts in front of us and gets to the light right ahead of us, they're one car length ahead. What did it gain them? One car length. Okay, so is that worth road rage or cutting in front of somebody? And, of course, we never do that, but we've had that probably happen to us from time to time. We're told in God's Word many times, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion, eat your own bread. But then the last part of this, verse 13, But as for you, brothers and sisters... Do not grow weary of doing good. Should we ever get tired of doing good? Do we need to keep doing good? Does the world around us want to see some good once in a while? There's one radio station I hear once in a while. I, I turn to it and they have a little segment in their radio station, Tell Me Something Good. And they talk about something good that somebody did. I turn on the news uh, in the morning and I look at it about five, ten minutes and who killed who and how many here were shot and some kind of a demonstration going on. I want to, don't we once in a while want to hear something good? And why not, as believers, we share good, doing good for one another and also to those around us. It says here, 
Barnabas tells the church in Antioch to cleave or to hang on to the Lord. We need to hang on to the Lord as if our spiritual lives depend on it, and it does. It does depend on it. So we know the Lord has a hold of us. He's got His arm around us. We're in His mighty right hand. But we need to hang on to Him too. When the rapids start getting kind of rough and we can't see above the water levels getting kind of high, we need to be hanging on to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to hang on to you through this. Because when we're hanging on, it encourages other believers to hang on. It's very easy to slip off to the side and quit and sit on the sideline. The Lord needs us every day. He needs us to to be showing forth His light, the salt that He wants us to be. It says uh, Barnabas too, he's evaluated as a good man, a follower of God. He was a man of integrity and full of the Holy Spirit. His life was controlled and directed by God. So you could see glimpses of Jesus in his life. His actions, his thoughts, his attitudes reflected that Barnabas belonged to Jesus. And then we need to look at ourselves. What about in our lives? It says Barnabas was full of faith. A life showed an active faith. And I think of in Matthew 14, I think of Peter. You know, we're kind of hard on Peter. When we think of Peter, what do we think? Well, he denied the Lord three times, but he also walked on water. And I think back at that story that's recorded for us in Matthew 14. Remember, everybody was afraid and they said, who is it? It's a ghost and and then uh, Peter said, give me a command. If you're Jesus, give me a command. What did he say? One word. Come. He didn't say, hmm, boy, let me think on this. Uh, I better talk with the other disciples here. I don't know what I should do here. Jesus said, come. And what did Peter do? He got out of the boat. He didn't say, oh boy, that's, that's a little higher way. I'm going to wait till it calms down a little. Or wait till the winds cease. He got out of the boat. He had faith. And I think sometimes in our lives, God says to us, get out of the boat. Trust me enough to get out of the boat. However that might be in our lives, maybe it's in a job we do, maybe it's in something we volunteer at, maybe it's a a ministry that God has as part of, whatever it might be, sometimes the Lord says, get out of the boat. Have faith in me. Will God sustain us outside the boat as well as in? Absolutely. But how are we going to know if we never put that faith in action? The world's looking for an answer. It's not finding it. Even in America, the world's looking. It's not a more government control, is it? It's not more of those who don't know the Lord telling us what to do. It's more faith in who? Looking to the Lord, looking to Jesus every day, saying, I trust you for this day. I don't know how it's all going to turn out, but what's the worst that can happen on this earth or in God's presence? Is that better? We're going to be there how long? Eternity, forever. How long are we here? Don't know, but it's not going to be eternity. So we've got to trust God. We've got to be full of faith like Barnabas. You could see in his life, like Peter who got out of the boat. He wasn't perfect. None of us are. 
Thank goodness the Lord doesn't give up on us, does he? He doesn't throw in the towel. A third way Barnabas displayed encouragement is shared in Acts 11, beginning of verse 27. And that is, Barnabas was an encourager financially. It says, beginning of verse 27 of Acts 11, Now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit there would most certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of who? Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Can we encourage each other financially? If somebody's struggling and God has blessed us and we're able to help somebody, is it okay to help somebody else? Does it tell us in the Bible we should do that? As an example here of Barnabas, he was part of a team that said, this church needs help. What can we do? Let me look at what I've got and see what I can give instead of saying, I don't really know if I should give or not. It was how much. It says proportionally. They looked at their means, what they had, and said, how can we help our brothers and sisters in Christ? And I believe Barnabas was at the front of the line. I don't know what his job was, but whatever he had, whatever means he had, I'm sure he looked at it and said, what can I do? to help my brothers and sisters in Christ. The Antioch church responded, and they put together what I like to call a helping hand fund. They said, let's get what we can get together, and we, Saul and Barnabas, we will go down, and we will give that to the church. We will help those that are struggling. So Barnabas displayed encouragement by encouraging financially. A fourth way Barnabas shows encouragement. And we'll look at Galatians chapter 2. Look with me together at Galatians 2. First at verse 1 and then at verse 9. Barnabas was an encourager of fellowship. An encourager of fellowship. Galatians chapter 2 verse 1. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. And then verse 9, And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. An encourager of fellowship. Do we need fellowship? Do you ever feel alone? That's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to feel discouraged and alone. But we have fellowship. Why? Because we are how many in Christ? One body in Christ. Not many, but one. And that means we're all equal. We're all sinners saved by grace. We all can rejoice every day that we're a Christian. And that we have brothers and sisters to walk through the deep waters at times when they come in our lives. We need that right hand of fellowship, don't we? 
Wayne, we need that right hand of fellowship. Dennis? Absolutely. How many days do we need that out of the year? Maybe one day? Every day. And whether we can physically do that right hand of fellowship, we need to be doing it spiritually because we need each other. Things in our country are not going to get better toward the Lord. They're getting worse. But God will give us the strength to walk another day. Because Americans that don't know the Lord, they need the Lord desperately. And unless they are a believer, we can't talk to them about what the Bible teaches. This is what to an unbeliever? Foolishness. It makes no sense. Because who teaches us what the Word teaches or what the Word is telling us? The Holy Spirit within us. And we only have the Holy Spirit when we're saved. So we can't expect them to know, but we can share with them the good news, the gospel, that they need Jesus in their lives. The right hand of fellowship was a custom among the Greeks and the Hebrews. The Roman coin showed two hands joined together, speaking of fellowship. So this was an alliance between Saul, Barnabas, James, Cephas, and John to proclaim the gospel. We're going to fellowship together to do what God wants us to do. Fellowships encouraged throughout Scripture. Back in Daniel chapter 2, remember Daniel and his friends were supposed to tell the king his forgotten dream. And what did they do? They fellowshiped together, they prayed, and God answered them as to what the king's dream was that he hadn't forgotten. He was testing the wise men, but God told them what the dream was and what it meant. And so they went together in prayer. As was shared this morning with Jack, shared in his message too, we all battle the time that we need to spend more time in prayer. Why do we need to pray more? Because we need God's peace, don't we? So we don't worry. So we say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to work it out, but I know you will because your plans are never having to be changed. All things work together for good to them that love God. Everything. No exceptions. It's not a percentage. It's 100%. 1 John 1 verse 5 says, This is the message that we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Barnabas was an encourager. Can we be like Barnabas? Can we follow after his example of encouraging, of acceptance, of encouraging people to grow, of encouraging people financially as we're able to? We can do it in God's power. That's the only way. Encouragement is our responsibility here at Lakeside for all Christians to encourage each other. And as I was thinking about encouragement, I don't want to go to 1230, but I...
found a bunch of ways I'm going to try to encourage you this morning. We looked at Barnabas. We looked at Scripture. But I want to encourage you, here are some things written by inmates who are presently serving, incarcerated around this country, as well as some encouragement from Charles Swindoll. Here's an encouragement in, in a, words to a song. I've got about ten here. I'm not going to read them all. But I want to encourage you with these, so please take it as that. Here's a, a man named Lloyd. He's serving time in Taylorsville, North Carolina. Here's what he writes. God answers prayer. I asked to be forgiven. The Lord, he did forgive. Gave me the chance to live a life, a life that's now fulfilled. I'm not afraid to pray because I know he cares. And even when I feel alone, I know the Lord is there. I thank the Lord for what He's done. I'm not ashamed to say that when I'm feeling down and out, unto the Lord I pray. Here's some encouragement from Charles Swindoll on how we can encourage each other. A warm smile. There's nothing about you more magnetic or attractive than your smile. And now with the mask down, we can see smiles. It will fit most every occasion and it will communicate volumes to the other person. Second, a solid handshake. Some are bone breakers, like the cross between King Kong and Goliath. Others are completely boneless, like a handful of cool seaweed or a glove full of warm pudding. But it's a solid, sure-filled handshake that says, Oh, how I appreciate you. And my, it's good to be in your presence. A third thing he suggests, direct eye contact. When you're shaking somebody's hand and conversing with them, eyeball to eyeball. You ever talk to somebody and they're looking everywhere, but it's you? Does that make you feel valued? Does that make you feel like they're talking to you? That eye-to-eye contact. And then he says the final thing, a word of encouragement. It's not wrong to verbally encourage someone, is it? How many opportunities do we have in a day? Countless. They're everywhere. And then I want to share a few words here from a hymn. One of my favorites, Victory in Jesus. Heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory. How He gave His life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about His groaning Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and He bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him and all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Here's what another inmate wrote, Psalm 23. This is what his thoughts were. The Lord is my shepherd. That's relationship. I shall not want. That's supply. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. That's rest. He leads me beside the still waters. That's refreshment. He restores my soul. That's healing. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. That's guidance. For His name's sake, that's purpose. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's testing. I will fear no evil, that's protection. For you are with me, that's faithfulness. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's discipline. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's hope. You anoint my head with oil. That's consecration. My cup runs over. That's abundance. Surely mercy and goodness shall follow me all the days of my life. That's blessing. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. That's security. Forever. That's eternity. And this is a song that I heard and I love the words to it. It's called Fighting for Me. I need the kind of love that can outlast the night. I need the kind of love that is willing to fight. When the going gets tough and my strength's not enough, I see you showing me like never before this battle for my heart. You took on from the start. You are the peace when my mind's at war. You will never stop fighting for me when I can't fight for myself. Every word is a promise you keep because you love me like nobody else. It's not 1230 yet. (laughs) Here's one more I want to share with you. And this is written by Elorando Nava, who's serving in Julia, Texas, serving a time there called saved life without God was a crazy spin a downward spiral drowning in sin I needed salvation but didn't know it my smile said I was okay but my heart didn't show it my life became darker I couldn't see light I tried all the wrong things to make me feel right when it all fell apart I could take no more in tears I heard the knocking of my heart's door. Out of the gloom, I found the Lord's saving grace. Now a genuine smile decorates my face. Though my body is in prison, my life is free, for I have the Father and the Son and the Spirit in me. I hope those encourage you this morning, because I know I need encouragement, you need encouragement. We can't give enough. We can't take in enough. And I pray you are encouraged this morning. This next week, may God use you in a mighty way to encourage others and encourage each other and pray for one another. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you this morning for this time we could gather together as believers. We could open your word. We could look at Barnabas. May we see in Barnabas some things that You are working in His life that we need in our lives, that we can be encouraged, that we accept one another as You have accepted us. You saved us, Lord. We didn't deserve it. Thank You. And I pray we would encourage one another today and every day, even more, that Your name would be honored and glorified and praised. We thank You and praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen.